Take your Bibles, if you will, if you have them with you. If you don't have a Bible here with you today, uh, just listen real close, or perhaps someone that is sitting near you can share theirs with you. And turn to the letter of Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippians, in the Newer Testament, which is the second half of your Bible. Philippians is just a couple of letters ahead of Thessalonians, which Raj uh, led us in reading just a few moments ago. Paul's letter to the Philippians. Continue to pray as you heard uh, while we were praying a moment ago. Raj Samarakun passed away suddenly and just absolutely surprisingly this past Monday evening, uh, Tuesday morning, I received a call from his daughter, Sakun, giving me the news, and uh, uh, she herself just absolutely flabbergasted and blindsided, not expecting this at all. Uh, Raj did not indicate any kind of health issues that they were aware of or that any of us were aware of. Some of you may or may not be familiar with who Raj is. Raj often sat on this side of the auditorium and his hands were often lifted in worship. He is uh, a dear uh, Sri Lankan brother and his wife Sumana has recently been attending with him and uh, their daughters when they were home they would uh, come from time to time as well. There will be a memorial in tribute uh, to Raj uh, on Thursday, this coming Thursday at 2.30 in the afternoon. And if you are at all able to join us, uh, the family extends a warm invitation to you. Um, they are so grateful for this congregation and that it was their father's church home. And um, they would love to have you join together if it is at all possible. It is a weekday, I know, and it can be challenging to get away from work schedules and commitments that we have. Um, but if you are at all able to be here uh, with us for that hour, uh, 2.30 in the afternoon, and there will be a reception uh, to follow um, in the fellowship room just across from us. But uh, please do join us and um, spread the word uh, as we pay tribute and honor his life. And he is now rejoicing in the immediate presence of the Lord. And this is the, the great blessed hope we have. And we will see him again in the resurrection. And so we say, Raj, we'll see you in the resurrection. But we look forward to just honoring his life this coming Thursday. Philippians chapter 1. We begin a, a brand new series we launch into today, and we are going to be spending some time in the letter of Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippians. Um, so I invite you to uh, commit to being here each week and uh, spread the word and invite others uh, those who have yet to return to in-person worship with us um, as, we, as we dig into this and all that God has for us in this letter, um, 
that uh, we're going to look at through this series entitled Going Public. Would you say that with me? Going public. Say it again. Going public. We're going to spend this morning and next Sunday morning just introducing this letter. Um, So we're not going to begin to dig right into the text of the letter itself right away. Uh, We'll look at one particular scripture this morning together, um, which basically uh, gives us the grand theme of Philippians. There are a number of themes in Philippians, some which you uh, may be familiar with yourself. But this particular verse, I believe, gives us the, the grand and overarching theme of Paul's letter to the Philippians. And, of course, it's summed up even in the title of this series, Going Public. Look at Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27 with me, if you will. Paul writes these words. Above all and at all costs, let your manner of life Your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent. There's a great deal of affection right there in those words that Paul writes to the Philippians. He had such a relationship with the Philippians. Uh, He founded the church in Philippi, and he had such affection and relationship with them that he knew that even though he was not physically present with them at this moment, he could just even say to them from a distance these words and know that they would give themselves wholeheartedly to to live by them. So that whether I come and see you or or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Followers of Jesus Christ can be found in all walks of life. All walks of our lives. And the same was true in St. Paul's own day in the important and busy Roman colony of Philippi. For Paul, being part of the in-Messiah people, those that are in Christ, meant that Jesus makes us into a new kind of humanity. When he considered being in-Messiah, in Christ, this was his prominent thought. Those who Christ is making into a new kind of humanity. We also serve a new king and not Caesar as it would have been in Paul's day. And to understand how this is to affect our lives and our living in the public sphere, that is living out loud the gospel of the kingdom, we need a robust biblical theology focused on King Jesus himself. The people of Christ, you and me, we have a high calling to fulfill, loved ones. 
The people of Christ can be found in schools, government, entertainment, and of course, on social media. What's more, with our social media and other electronic means, more and more of our life today is lived in public view, like never before. With the world watching, we need a robust biblical theology guiding how we participate in public life. God knows we need this, especially with so much of what we see on social media. So this series that that we are launching today serves to invite us to plumb the depths of this letter to the Philippians, to discover a scriptural foundation for being the people of Christ in the public sphere. Living the gospel out loud. In this series of sermons, we're going to cover the wonder of the work of Jesus as seen magnificently in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. Probably one of the most familiar pieces of this letter to us. We're also going to address the practical daily life applications of what it means to be, as Paul states in Philippians 3 verse 20, a citizen of heaven. As individuals that are in Christ, as people of Christ, we are citizens of heaven. Now, Paul writes from prison and isn't sure whether he will be executed or released. Nonetheless, this letter is known, as you may well know, for the joyous outlook that Paul communicates to his readers. In fact, some believe that that is the prominent theme of this letter, joy. I believe it is a very dominant theme, but it still comes under this overarching theme that we are considering. Living out loud the gospel of the kingdom. The people of Christ in the public sphere. How are we to live? But Paul communicates this joyous outlook, even though he is in prison, not knowing whether he will be released or executed. And we too are going to learn the importance of thinking joyfully. Would you say that with me? Thinking joyfully. Come on, say it again. Thinking joyfully. We'll enter into this world where the private walk with Christ meets with the calling for public engagement with the outside world. Even though Paul is writing from prison, he's not deterred by his circumstances. He believes that even though he is in prison, God still has fruitful work for him to do. Amazing. The gospel is not imprisoned. 
The gospel is strong and sturdy. Times may be tough, but the gospel is even tougher. We who are grasped by this gospel need to hold on tightly to this belief. And the letter of Philippians helps us to do this. Paul has this demeanor and this attitude from prison. Now, we are not sitting in prison here this morning. We have just come through a few years of pandemic where we have felt like at times we've been in prison because we've been closed off and masked and isolated and having to communicate via screens and everything else. Interestingly enough, we can relate in that degree, but Paul's writing from prison. And he still believes that God has fruitful work for him to do. He knows that though he is under house arrest, the gospel is not arrested. The gospel is strong and sturdy and even tougher than the tough times that we might face. There are many ways of summing up Philippians, but the more important and prominent theme, as I've said, seems to become the public life of the people of Christ. Or as I've put it in the title of our series together, Living Out Loud the Gospel of the Kingdom. In a watching and sometimes hostile world and age, and generation, and culture. I believe this is a very timely and prophetic message for us, especially in light of what we've seen of the public life of the people of Christ. Of course, people in general, but particularly I'm thinking of the people of Christ and the public life that has been demonstrated uh, on social media, on corners with picket signs and everything else that went on that you and I are aware of that, that I trust most of us, I know I myself am ashamed to even say that I identify with that because I don't. Paul says in this letter to us, this is what the public life of the people of Christ is to look like. In a watching world, in a world that is sometimes hostile. So this is the prominent theme of this letter. This forms for us, obviously, you're already perhaps feeling this, even with what we have considered just in these few moments, this forms a major challenge for us. The contemporary modern church we are not just to be formed as followers of Jesus in our personal life and Christian fellowship. We are to be shaped in our lives in such a way that the outside world looking on will be confronted to its surprise with living, life-giving good news. Not obnoxious, arrogant, in-your-face, don't-take-away-my-rights kind of a message. 
but living, loving, life-giving good news. We in the modern West, with pockets of exception, are a long way from being comfortable social Christians in the way that might have been true 50 to 60 years ago. However, we as a church have not really figured out what it means to alter our lives in such a way as to shine out into the world in the way that Paul clearly was hoping for in this letter. Paul founded, as I said a moment ago, he founded the church in Philippi, which was the first church in Europe And he founded it on his second missionary journey, which you can read about in Acts chapter 16. And this is his primary thrust to them and to us. Making the good news visible. The text that we've read together says it all. Look at it again with me. In fact, I invite you to lift your voices with me. It's on the screen for us. Would you lift your voices and read it together with me? The one thing I would stress is this. You must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Your public behavior must match up to the gospel of the King, the Messiah, Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't seen an awful lot of that demonstrated, particularly in the last few years, by those who claim to be followers of Christ. I've seen a lot of other stuff on social media, on news feeds, on on street corners, but I haven't seen this. The Philippians are Roman citizens with privileges to enjoy and responsibilities to fulfill, just as we are Canadian citizens with the same privileges to enjoy and responsibilities to fulfill, as we have even been commemorating this past week of remembrance. They must equally remember that as citizens of a heavenly realm, they are called not only to accept the benefit of this gospel, but to model their lives according to the pattern laid down therein by Christ Himself. They must reflect their kingdom homeland. They are to be true to their membership of that new city, which has Christ for its king, the gospel for its law, and the Christ follower as its citizen. Now, the wider society, of course, doesn't expect to have a new new social grouping in its midst behaving so differently. One that celebrates cheerfully and gratefully. 
not one of arrogance, not one of obnoxiousness, not one of in-your-face shouting, not, not this, but one that celebrates cheerfully and gratefully. Society as a whole doesn't expect a new social grouping of people that, that behaves so differently in these ways. People that live as good neighbors, yet in quite a different way. But this is what we are supposed to be. We have the vocation, the calling, the command to be the alternative society. The alternative society, thereby showing the rest of the world that there is a different way, a very different way, a new way to be human. Not alternative in terms of hiving off and hiding privately in our own corner as though we don't want anyone to know what we are doing. Not in that way. Rather, the public face of a cheerful, happy, wise, creative, alternative, compassionate society. A, a Sermon on the Mount society. One that is attractive even when it is dangerous to be so. And it will be dangerous at times. As we heard this morning, even a moment ago, as, as Raj led us in the Gospel reading, Jesus said, you will be persecuted, you will be arrested. Now, we prayed for our brothers and sisters, persecuted Christians around the world last Sunday. We, we are grateful that here in Canada, or we should be grateful anyway, that we have not experienced what they have, what has very much just become life for them. What it means to follow Jesus. But there will come a day where we may face very similar things. It will be dangerous at times. Because not everyone will approve of putting someone else, in this case, Jesus, in the place of Caesar. And this is the main alternative or mainstream reality in Philippi. As we dig into this letter, we're going to find out that this expression that is so familiar to you and I, Jesus is Lord. Would you say that with me? Jesus is Lord. That originated from a context found in Philippi where it was the common expression to say, Caesar is Lord. And Paul writes to the Philippians and he says, no, you are to live a life that instead proclaims Jesus is Lord. And it became a very dangerous thing for them to do. This is the main alternative or mainstream reality in Philippi 
to which the church must offer a true Christ-focused alternative. In the midst of a culture that says Caesar is Lord or this is Lord or that is Lord, we are a people that instead live in such a way and with such a demeanor and such a disposition and such an attitude and such a heart that says Jesus is Lord. Philippi in northern Greece was a Roman colony because roughly 100 years before Paul's time, Rome had been caught up in a long-running, shape-shifting civil war following the murder of Julius Caesar. First, it was Antony and Octavian against Caesar's assassins, Brutus and Cassius. And then it became Antony and Octavian against one another, vying to be master of the world. Octavian won, and he took the honorific title Augustus, the to-be-venerated one, or in Greek, Sebastus, the venerable. So this was the context that the church in Philippi was couched in and planted in. Philippi was the battle that ended the first phase of that war in 42 B.C. After that, Antony and Octavian, not wanting their battle-hardened old soldiers going back to Italy and making a nuisance of themselves, what they did is they requisitioned land right then and there in northern Greece. And they set up a Roman colony. No doubt this was done to the annoyance of many local landowners, as you can imagine. Though there would be no doubt, or there would no doubt be, some locals with their eye on the main chance, seeing their strong connection to Rome as a major civic and economic advantage, as indeed it was. So Philippi was right on the main road from east to west, stretching to the Adriatic ports to the west that would take you quickly across to Rome, and to the east to the lands of Asia. An important staging post had just become even more important. Once Octavian Caesar, who was becoming Augustus, as I explained a moment ago, had won the last battle and had taken power, his was the name on everybody's lips. His was the good news that had run around the known world. Good news. Hey, we have a new emperor. He has brought peace to the whole world. It was a rather hollow boast since he had contributed to the civil war and he was simply the last one standing when it was all over. But for the people of Philippi, it was especially good news because many of them were now 
Roman citizens as a result. Thus, they knew that if they got into any trouble and any local difficulties, Caesar himself would come from Rome to sort it all out. The future looked rosy. Now, for Paul, of course, this vision of civic life owing allegiance to Caesar was a parody of the truth. For him, the real good news, the message that comes from Isaiah 40 and Isaiah 52, the message about Israel's God coming back at last to rescue His people and establish His kingdom in all the world, as we read earlier in our Scripture reading from Isaiah. This good news had already been unveiled for Paul in terms of the message about Jesus Himself. He was already the true Lord of the world. So all all of this all of this shouting and, and, uh, and, and, and celebrating with Augustus Caesar and we have a new emperor and now this is good news and, and peace has come. Paul saw all of this and thought, this is a joke. Because he knew that the good news of the kingdom of Jesus had already been unveiled. In the message of Jesus Himself, He was already the true Lord of the world. He was the Savior. He was the One who would one day return to complete His work of salvation and establish His rule in all the world as it is in heaven, let it be on earth. And that belief, that good news or Gospel, is the theological backbone of this letter to the Philippians. It means flying in the face of the Roman belief system that Jesus, in Jesus Himself, we see already who the true God really is. Who the true Lord really is. The God of Israel, who in keeping His promises to His people, has shown His powerful hand in raising Jesus from the dead and establishing Him as Lord. The particular point of this letter to the Philippians is then this. In Jesus' followers, in Jesus' followers, in you and me, The world is to see who the true God really is. This is the primary point that we want to drill down into in this series. Now, I'm sure it comes as no surprise to you that the world is not going to like this very much. The vision of the crucified and risen Jesus as the true Lord of the world stands on its head 
the assumptions that normally rule in the wider world. Not just who this Lord happens to be, but the very definition of lordship that he brings. The very definition of rule, of authority themselves. The definition that the world places on lordship and rule and authority. Jesus comes and turns all of that on its head. And we see the, the, the beautiful poetic expression of this in Philippians chapter 2 in particular. as we will be studying together in the coming days. As you may have noticed, the world's rulers and authorities do not like rivals. And the powers and the principalities that Paul talks about that stand behind those rulers and authorities especially do not like rivals. They tend to have them killed, or at least imprisoned. So then, guess where Paul was when writing this letter? We've already said, he's writing from prison. Why do you think that was? For this very reason. And we need to understand some things about imprisonment in Paul's world because it was very different from what we are familiar with or acquainted with. Being put in prison for Paul was not just a judicial sentence. Rather, it was where the authorities dumped you while they decided what to do with you. This guy, Paul, this dude, Paul, we don't know what to do with him. So in the meantime, until we figure something out, we'll just dump him here. It was where they dumped you while they decided what to do with you. They might even just forget about you. Many people died from sickness and starvation having been forgotten in ancient prisons. And since the authorities wouldn't feed you, you had to have friends or family who would bring you food and water. If and when your case came to court, if you were found guilty, you would either be beaten or fined or banished or, of course, killed. Paul knows that this was a very likely outcome as he was writing this letter to the Philippians. Others within the greater church community would also have known of Paul's dire straits. And so it is that the church in Philippi, being very much aware of Paul's needs in prison, they've sent him money. It cannot be proven, but best speculation indicates that Paul is actually imprisoned in Ephesus, not in Philippi. Ephesus, Central West Asia, modern-day Turkey today. Some of you have traveled to Turkey. You're walking in the land that was formerly Ephesus, where Paul planted the church in Ephesus. 
to whom he wrote that great letter to the, of, the, of, of Ephesians. Many still think he is in Rome at this time. And this doesn't alter too much about this letter except that of his travel plans. But at any rate, whether he's in Rome or in Philippi, at any rate, the point is that the Philippian church has come together and raised some money and sent it with one of their trusted members, a man named Epaphroditus, which we will read about. And Paul sees this rather obviously as a sign that he and the Philippians, though they were a few hundred miles apart, are sharing in what is called koinonia, what Paul calls koinonia. We usually loosely and weakly translate that word as fellowship. And to our great detriment, this word has often been reduced to the social chit-chat over a cup of coffee after a worship service. That's how we would define koinonia. However, in the early church, koinonia, for Paul, koinonia, fellowship, meant much more than that. And we will see this as we go through the letter, especially in the last paragraph of the letter where Paul returns to the topic. It is clear enough from the letter's opening in chapter 1, verses 5 to 7, that this koinonia is a matter of being in it together. Even in our text, may you have one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That your life may be, the manner of your life may be worthy of the gospel. And whether I come to you and see you or whether I'm absent, he says, that, that you would be standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This was Paul's idea of koinonia, of fellowship together. We're in this together. Sharing a common life in a way that an extended family might do. In fact, from Paul's point of view, that is indeed what they are. They are the Messiah's family. Composed of all sorts of unlikely people. People like you and me. And in the ancient world, one of the things that families did was to help each other out. There were implicit financial obligations. And Paul sees the Philippians' financial gift that Epaphroditus brings to him. He sees it with this larger theological and practical reality. This is one of the many serious challenges that this letter offers to the church today. What does it mean to live in this way as an extended family across cultures and traditions. What is that to look like today? To this we will return in the coming weeks. Paul throughout this letter is expanding this view of koinonia. 
fellowship. He's enlarging it to form a picture of what we might call the church before the watching world. Living out loud the gospel of the kingdom. This phrase, I suspect, might spark some reaction today. The question, well, I mean, come on, Pastor, is the world really watching us anyway? Do we really need to be concerned about this at all? Is this really an issue for us today? Because is the world even paying attention to us? Are they even watching us? And in many places, the answer might be, well, not very much, actually. Although, if a church is suddenly hit with some sort of scandal, you'll find the journalists on your doorstep before too long. How many know that? So, the world is watching. Much of the church here in the Western Hemisphere of the world has forgotten entirely that it is our vocation to be living and modeling God's new way of being human before the eyes of a watching world. And we're going to see as we go along in this letter what that might mean and what that might look like and what this high calling is that we have, this vocation that we are to live. And loved ones, there will quite likely be some surprises for us in store. 